Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Hey, I'm glad to see you guys here today. And uh, I'm glad somebody is. Thanks, Roger. Last Sunday evening, I wasn't doing well, and uh, by Tuesday, I was doing a lot better, so thanks for those who were praying for me. This is a picture that I took on my iPhone when Kathy and I were at Bouchard Gardens. We took a little trip up there from Seattle. We were visiting Justin and Courtney and Nadia. We were there to see Nadia. No, we were there to see all three of them. Nadia is our newest granddaughter, and that was our first time to see her. But we then made a trip up to... uh, Victoria, and we went to Bouchard Gardens, which was one of my mom's favorite places on planet Earth. She loved to go there. Now, what if we change the filter of this picture just a little bit to black and white? Does that look different? Okay, confession, it it even looks different to me, okay? Not as much as it does to you, but uh, now let's change the filter again. Well, now it looks different again. All right, what if we change it one more time? Yeah. Now let's put it back to where it was. It's magic, isn't it? So do you see the dramatic difference just by focusing through a different filter? See, now look, we, we look at the same picture. We'll put all four versions up at the same time. It's the same picture. But only the one view lets you see it accurately. That's the way God intended for it to be understood. Now, in a way, I mean, that's what we're doing when we talk about understanding the Bible. Uh, We study the scripture, and here's the methodology that we use. We use a normative slash literal We explained that a couple weeks ago, grammatical, historical, contextual, and dispensational method of interpretation when we look at the scriptures. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the first part, the first four parts of this, and you can find those messages on our YouTube channel. You can listen to them on our podcast. Uh, They are available. You can go to the website to find a link to those if you need that. But I encourage you to listen to them if you miss them because they link together with this and help us get a better perspective. Now, does that sound complicated? It does a little bit, right? I mean, it's, it's not that big a deal. Anybody can learn to do it. But you see, some people don't. What some people like to do, they just open their Bible and they just take whatever's there and that's what blesses them that day. Maybe you've heard that story about the guy that said uh, he just wanted some inspiration from God. So he just dropped his Bible open and pointed and then read, and Judas went and hanged himself. He's, oh, okay, I, I need something new. And then what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> then he looked again, go and do likewise. <laughs> All right. You can get all mixed up if you don't try and look at the Bible the right way, like the pictures of the flowers. Now, 
It's not complicated, but lazy people don't get there. The apostle Peter described that. Some people who don't put in the effort, they get confused by what the Bible says and they just give up or they just start listening to somebody else and, and some of the Bible teachers out there aren't actually teaching the Bible, they're teaching their perspective. And it's, it's askew, it's like putting a different filter on that flower picture. Um, so to, this morning, I want to take just a quick look at the dispensational part of our method of Bible study. And I want you to understand this has been um, evaluated and compared with scripture, examined by theologians and Bible scholars, and it works for anyone of any age who will put a little effort into it. You don't have to have a degree. You don't even be able to need to read very well. There's different versions of the Bible. You can get one that's maybe easier for you to read. What you need to do is just put in the effort to try and understand it this way because this is how we get a clear picture of God's word. So the dispensations and, and uh, there's different dispensations are time periods of how God worked in, in, on earth. God didn't change his mind. He has been unfolding his pattern over time. He didn't start with everything all at once. He could have, uh, but he didn't. And he revealed more over time. So that when Paul came along and was revealing uh, the church age, Paul said it had been a mystery, but now was revealed. And all the other apostles agreed with Paul that this was now what they should teach and preach because it, they saw shadows of it in the Old Testament, but now the clarity of it in the New. So the, basically the seven dispensations are innocence, that was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve before they sinned. Conscience, from their first sin all the way till the flood, uh, there weren't many rules. And then there was civil government, and that went from the flood to Abraham. And then uh, the promise, that was from Abraham all the way to Moses. And the law came by Moses, and the law was then the dispensation all the way to Christ. Now, you didn't get saved by following the law. You still got saved like we do by trusting and believing God's revelation. But there were defined laws that God gave to the nation of Israel and for people to follow. And now we are in the dispensation of grace or the church age. And at some point after the tribulation, we will enter the millennial reign of Christ and the, he will set up his kingdom on the earth. Now, in the Old Testament and the Gospels, God worked primarily through the Hebrew descendants of Abraham in the nation of Israel and then the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah. In this age of grace, God works primarily through the church, which is identified as the body of Christ in the New Testament. So we have more of God's written revelation than anyone who lived during the Bible days. We have more of it because we have the whole of scripture. And we also have the indwelling Holy Spirit, 
when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit then lives inside you. So you have God himself, a little I incarnation. Jesus was the capital incarnation. You're a little one because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And so nobody who lived before the ascension of Christ experienced the, the having the Holy Spirit inside them. That's when they all got to start experiencing it. And we've had it from the moment of our salvation. And not even John, when he wrote the final book of, of Scripture, the book of the Revelation, and he recorded that for us, not even John had all the Scriptures available like this, like we do. He couldn't carry all the scrolls at one time. And we have it all there. And some of you have it on your phone. I have it on my iPad, my phone. I got multiple versions of the scripture, uh, multiple translations. And so we have more than anybody has. And yet, we don't do a better job than anybody else has. Interesting. When there was only one rule, what was that one rule in human history? There was only one rule. When was that? In the garden. What was the rule? Don't eat from that tree. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. I don't know if it would have been okay to eat the leaves and the bark, but don't eat the fruit of that tree. That was one rule, and they broke it. When people had just to follow their conscience, they violated God's laws. When civil governments rose up to help guide people, people continued to violate God's laws. Uh, When the Hebrews had promises of God through Abraham, mankind continued to break God's laws and thereby break God's heart. When God delivered his detailed laws for the nation of Israel, when everyone could read them and know them and understand them, they still did not follow them. And in this age of grace, when people have more of God's word than any time in history, more opportunity to call people to trust and follow Jesus Christ, many still do not. And even in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus Christ himself rules on earth for a thousand years, at the end of that thousand years, there's another great rebellion. There's a great rebellion and people turn against God and they rebel against God and there's a final judgment after the millennial reign. See, it's it's very important that we understand there's more to understand, there's more to the Bible than just needing to understand it. I phrased that poorly. There's a more important truth we need to understand. We are seeking truth Avoiding error, that's been the theme of these last several weeks. Understanding is only the beginning. Can you say that line with me, please? Understanding is only the beginning. Please take your Bibles or click on, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I love this picture. I don't know where Megan found it, but it's we take the Bible and there's a pathway. And God's word is speaking into his life and now he's walking down that pathway. 
So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take what we know and then follow the path that that instructs and guides in our lives. James chapter 1, and right now we're going to read from verse 21 down to verse 25, okay? Verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me wisdom and clarity. Um, I pray that you would give all of us understanding that we would listen to your Holy Spirit, that we would listen to your revealed scripture, that we would draw closer to you, and I pray that you would work in each heart. Bring encouragement where we do well. Bring conviction where we don't. May this service be a turning point in our lives if that's what we need. May it be a boost along the journey if that's what we need. May you use it to strengthen and equip us as we try to trust and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, which is recorded in Matthews 5 through 7, we're not going to turn there, but Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount with an illustration. Do you remember what it was? It's about two men. What were those men doing? They were, they were each building a house. One was building one, one was building the other. So uh, they built that. Now, one man did the easy thing. He just built his house on top of the ground, on the sand, in the easy stuff. Uh, it's easy to start putting things together that way, and that's what he did. The other dug down to bedrock. He dug down to, and he anchored it on the rock. And they both built their houses up. And as they built those houses up, the house, both houses looked good. Both houses did what houses are supposed to do. They're supposed to shelter you from the elements, give you a place of meeting, give you a safe place to sleep. Their houses met those needs. But then a storm came. You know, the Bible says the storms of life come into our, uh, into our lives too. We're going to face storms. The storms will come. So the one who had his house built on the rock, when the storm came and the floods rose and the rains and the wind beat on that house. We had one of those the other day. Windows were rattling and, and stuff was pinging and uh, yeah, the wind was rolling and the rain was coming. And uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of rain. I live in the desert on purpose. I know we need some rain, but I'm fine if we get just a little bit, and I don't like it when it lingers for days, but some of you are like, oh, this is so refreshing. Uh, it's not for me, but that's all right. God will forgive us, either one of us or both of us, if we're both wrong. Okay, the storms came. Now, same storms beat on the other house too, but there was a difference in the houses. 
the house that was built on the bedrock, the house that was built down to the rock, what happened when the storm beat on that house? It stood firm. It was fine. But the other house, it didn't weather so well, did it? No, that house collapsed. It fell and great was the fall of it. There was destruction. Why? It was not built on the right foundation. And we need to build on the right foundation. And Jesus said, the person who listened to his message and did it was the wise man building on the rock. That's how Jesus described him. And then he said, the one who listened to his message and did not do it, that's the foolish one who faced destruction. So I'm not going to stand outside, and I'm not going to quiz you as you're leaving. Are you planning to live out what we said today? We're not going to do that. If I did, you'd bolt out the side door, I know. But listen, what I think of you doesn't matter very much. What Jesus Christ thinks of you matters a whole lot. Because someday we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us will be there. So Jesus said, the foolish man is the one who ignores what God's word says. The words Jesus spoke now recorded for us in God's word, the Bible, the scripture. The foolish one is the one who does not do what it says. And the wise one is the one who does what it says. So understanding is only the beginning, right? First, you need to learn it. You need to learn it. When Moses approached, I started to jump right in. I'm going to use an illustration, okay? When Moses approached the burning bush, um, the angel of the Lord told him to do something with his sandals. What was it? Take them off. off. Why? Because the place he was standing was holy ground. I don't know if they still do this, but back in the early 80s and late 70s, our pastor, well, for me, late 70s, for her early 80s, because we got married in 1980, and she joined me out there. And uh, so uh, we, we, she joined the church and served as the church uh, secretary there. But uh, I, I joined that church in 79, uh, and uh, we served in that church for several years. And our pastor had a ministry in South Korea. Every year he would fly to South Korea, and for three or four weeks, right? Was he would preach in South Korea. And one of the things they had is you had to take your shoes off when you were getting on to the platform because this place is holy ground. Okay, that's not a wrong thing to do. It's okay to do that. But see, actually every spot in this building is holy ground. Because this is where the body of Christ assembles together as the church, the assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every place in this building is holy ground. So should we put a massive shoe rack out front to put all our shoes as we come in barefoot because this is holy ground? Oh, but, but, but wait. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. So when you put your feet anywhere, 
It's holy ground. Supposed to be. You're supposed to live as if it's holy ground. So it's holy ground up here, down there, and everywhere that we go. It's holy ground. So it's okay for somebody to say, in, in our church, we want you to take off your shoes when you preach. That would be okay if we decided we wanted to do that. But it wouldn't be okay for us to say, this is what God's word encourages us to do. Because it doesn't. And so we need to learn what it says. There's a difference between what is prescriptive and what is descriptive. So we have a doctor in the house. You know what that doctor would do? He would write out prescriptions. When he wrote a prescription, guess what people were supposed to do with that? Dump it in the shredder when they get home. No, no, no. They were supposed to actually follow the doctor's instructions because that would make them better. It was prescriptive. But there are some things in the Bible that are just descriptive, like that story of Moses. There's nowhere else in the Bible anywhere where it says, take off your shoes when you get ready to preach. Take off your shoes when you're talking to God. Hey, I don't like wearing shoes. And half the time, if you stop by the office, I'm not wearing them. Uh, In fact, in the wintertime, when the the office floor is a little colder, I'll put on slippers, but I, they're more comfortable than my shoes, and I often have to prop my feet up, and so it's better to prop them up with slippers on than with shoes on, and, and so one of the girls in the church was harassing me because she came by with her mom, and I didn't have my shoes on, and I told her, well, at least when I'm in church, I wear my shoes, because sometimes she doesn't. Okay, it's not sinful either way. Prescriptive versus descriptive. There are things the Bible says. There are things the Bible tells us about history. And it's not like God saying, all right, now you must do this. No, you have to discern. And okay, most of the time it's really easy to tell the difference. If it's not then you talk to somebody else, maybe your Bible class teacher or your Awana leader or your pastor or uh, somebody else and you ask for clarity. Is this something I should do or is this just a historical lesson that's in there that I can learn from? But uh, people make big deals out of itty-bitty little things and there's a lot of false teachers who tell you, Well, nobody's doing this but us because this is what God's word says. Yes, it's what God's word says, but it's not necessarily what God's word teaches. And we looked at that a little more previously when we were using an illustration from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And you can go back and listen to last week's message if you want that. But that's what the Lord wanted Moses to do in that one place in that one day. In the other times when Moses stood before the Lord, God didn't say, take off your sandals. He just talked with Moses as you would to a friend face to face. So we need to learn, look at what does it say and what does it mean and how do I apply that to the circumstances in my life? We need to learn it. 
the last couple of weeks. We've looked at learning God's Word. But not only do you need to learn it, you need to live it. You need to live it. It needs to go on the path with you in your life. When I was a kid, I won a Bible memory contest at church. I'm pretty sure it was a contest. I, I won a, in our kids club that I was, I won the Bible memory contest. That meant I memorized more verses than anybody else. And then uh, it didn't change my heart. It didn't change my life. I got a little badge to put on my sash for the kids club that I was in. And my badge said I was a superior Bible learner. But I wasn't because it only went in here, and it never got here. It didn't get into my heart. And we need to live God's word. That's what this passage is saying. And he describes a couple of things we need to do. What's the first thing, first action you need to take in verse 21? What's the first action you do? Lay aside. You lay aside. What do you lay aside? All all the filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You lay it aside. Now, in multiple surveys over the last 20 years or so, Christian students are just as likely to cheat or lie to their teachers or professors. Christian managers are just as likely to inflate their expense reports. Christians are just as likely to gossip or spread rumors or show unkindness to other people. Hey, hey, let's just remember this little rule. When you are unkind, you are also unscriptural because Jesus modeled kindness. We were instructed to show kindness. Jesus didn't, he never uh, shortchanged sin. He always dealt with it appropriately and rightly but he showed kindness even in that. So sadly, according to those surveys, uh, Christian men and women are just as likely to watch something on their phone, tablet, computer, or television that they would never watch if Jesus was sitting right there with them. But he is. In the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us all the time. And even if they turned off those screens, those images are still in their head. And, and your brain records that data and can bring it up later. See, we need to lay aside all filthiness and wickedness. The last phrase of verse 27, keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, I'm going to share with you a couple other verses in the Bible. This is not something that James alone thought of. No, actually, this is taught across the board in the New Testament. Paul described it in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, the world is trying to press you into its mold, and he's saying, don't let that happen. 
You reject the mold of the world and you focus on what God wants. The writer of Hebrews added in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with patience and endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father, at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul described in Colossians 3, put off the old man, put on the new man. There should be a change. Jude said we need to contend for the faith. We need to be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. And Peter's final challenge to the believers in the first century ends with these words, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent, be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. A couple verses later, he jumps back in, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. That's how Peter ends his instruction. I want you to take your Bible, please, and turn over to John. First John, you're in James. Then first Peter, second Peter, first John. First John chapter two. We're going to look there. First John chapter 2, look in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Don't love the world. Don't long for the things of the world. Does that mean it's evil to own a car that you really like or a motorcycle that you really like or, or some uh, piece of clothing or some piece of jewelry that you really love? Uh, does that mean that's evil to do that? No, only if it says ASU on it. <laughs> right, Tim? I didn't hear an amen back there, Tim. Tim graduated from ASU. I attended the U of A. So, hey, uh, listen, it's okay to like the things of this world, but it's not okay to love them. There's a difference. We, we get sucked in. I, Kathy and I have learned something really, really weird about me well, many really weird things about me, but this one I'll share with you is that if I watch an infomercial, I want to buy it. It doesn't really matter what it is. So you know what I do? I don't watch infomercials. Or if I see one and I'm really interested in it, I tell Kathy about it. I give her a warning. Warning, alert, and so she runs out and starts arguing against the infomercial. But... I have no idea why. It just, they, they suck me in. I, and uh, so I just don't pay attention to them because all they really want to do is get your money. Oh, they're trying to help you. 
They're just here for you. They want to make your life better and your wallet a little bit lighter and easier to carry around. That's what they really want. See, we need to live God's word and not get sucked into the things of this world. Don't get drawn in. See, there's all kinds of attractions in this world. And we all have different things that attract us. We have people here who absolutely love certain foods and others who don't like those foods at all. And some who really like sports and some who don't like sports at all. I saw a meme the other day about a person who said, I don't really do sports, but I love shopping and that's kind of walking. And occasionally it involves running if there's a big sale. Uh, so, so uh, you know, it's, you don't have to like the same things but you have to not love the same things. Don't love the things of this world. Don't let it suck you in because we can easily get drawn away. That's what happened to Demas, who was described as a faithful fellow laborer. But then later they said he departed from the faith. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. So let's jump back to uh, James chapter 1. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, the second action you need to do is to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. You receive it. Living the scripture involves letting it take root in your heart and life. The engrafted uh, word, uh, the... um, implanted word. Let it take root in your life. You need to have regular devotions. You need to have regular Bible reading. You need to be regularly having times of study, regularly listening to messages. Uh, We encourage you to be faithful to church and the Bible class at 930 and the church at Y, because then you can learn, you can grow, you can be encouraged in your walk with Christ. We'll have another service at five o'clock today that's different from this one. And you can come and hear something else and learn something else. And uh, 1 Corinthians, um, sorry, I jumped ahead. Living it requires you to be in the habit and practice of bringing God's word into your life. I had lunch with another pastor this past week, and we talked about a translation that neither of us actually preach from, but that we both listened to an audio Bible, audio scripture last year. We listened to the same one, and he had never done it before. I think that was my fifth time of listening to that particular translation. I alternate every year and do something different, but uh, but he, it was new for him. And uh, You know, let God's word speak into your life. Uh, There's times when you're doing stuff that doesn't require brain work. Put God's word in your headphones or playing off your phone on the table if you live by yourself. Or even if you don't, let the other people in the house hear God's word too. Uh, But listen to God's word, read God's word, learn God's word. Let it take root in your life. See, if... The next action word, then you need to do it. You need to be doers of the word. So you need to live it. You're living it out. If you don't, you can deceive yourself. Is God willing to forgive any sin? Yes. 
is God willing to forgive every sin? And the only sin he won't forgive is the sin you haven't repented of. If you genuinely repent, he will forgive your sin. 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God can and God will. And so because of that, sometimes people get the idea that sin's just not that big a deal. When you, Before you trust Christ, your sin can send you to hell. But after you trust Christ, you're still going to heaven anyway. So it doesn't really matter if you sin. And yet Paul wrote the exact opposite in Romans 6. He said, should we say, well, then let's just sin more so grace can abound. And he said, God forbid, no way, don't let that happen. Sin in the life of a believer is actually worse than in the life of a non-believer. The consequences are not worse, but sin is worse. God can be willing to forgive your sin, and therefore we sometimes forget the awfulness of our sinfulness. 1 Corinthians 11, when they were tolerating sinful attitudes and behavior around the Lord's Supper, Paul said some people got sick and some people died because of their sin and how they were disregarding the Lord's body. Your sin hurts the heart of God. Your sin hurts the cause of Christ. As, as Nathan the prophet said to David, you cause the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme through your sin. Your sin hurts the people around you. There's a ripple effect, like tossing a rock into water in the ripple effect. There's a ripple effect from your sin. It doesn't just affect you. Your sin may still be forgiven, but there are consequences on earth because of your sin. In fact, the writer of Hebrews taught us that bitterness in one person can then spread out and cause problems with a whole bunch of people. And look at verse 23. You can forget if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. All right, honest confession. How many of you have ever looked at your watch to see the time and within 10 minutes looked at your watch again because you don't remember what the time was? Yeah. <laughs> See, see, that happens. But, but when you look into God's word and God's word speaks into your life and then you don't do anything about it, you forget it. You need to take action. You need to do. And then in verse 25, he says, uh, you, you actually rob yourself of blessings he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And this one will be blessed in what he does. Those who forget, those who don't do it, they will not be blessed. The one who does will be the one who is blessed. So you need to learn it and you need to live it. And in the process of living it, you need to love God and his word. You need to trust God and his word, and you need to obey God and his word. We can't just pick and choose. We need to obey because understanding is only the beginning.
That's where it starts. Understanding is the beginning. So, is there something you need to lay aside today? Is there some habit of your mind, your heart, or your life that you need to set aside? Is there some sin you've allowed to creep in that you need to turn away from? See, this passage of Scripture says you need to lay it aside. You need to remove it from you. Set it aside. Move it some other place. You need to live out God's truth. So when we walk out these doors, whatever door, whatever exit you take out of this building, you're going to step out and you're going to live for God. You are an example of Christ wherever you go. You might be a good example. You might be a bad example. But you are an example of Christ to people who don't know Jesus. So you need to live his truth out in his life. You need to love, trust, and obey. Now, I don't know your hearts. There may be people here today who've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. You need to do that. We would love to show you from God's word how to trust Jesus. There are people here today maybe struggling with the sin or something going on in your life, in your heart. You need to turn away from it. Set it aside. You need to listen to God's word and follow God's word. Because someday you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and you're going to wish you had done what he said. I remember once in the Marine Corps, I had to meet with a two-star general and I had a presentation to make in, in his presence, and there was a three-star general that showed up that I didn't know was coming, and I was expecting the two-star and a couple of colonels and a light colonel and a one-star, and, and there were more stars in that room. I had three stripes, and there were guys who had that many stars on their collar, and, and uh, uh, it was a little intimidating. And then they started asking me questions, grilling me, because I was making this recommendation that would impact the Westpac Marine Corps. And uh, so they were grilling me on it to see if I really knew what I was saying and what I was recommending. And you know what? That was nothing compared to when we stand before Jesus. See, those, those generals could only ask me about what was in this subject that we were talking about. And, and they couldn't see my heart. Jesus sees your heart. And someday you're going to stand in the presence of the one who suffered for those very sins that you tolerate in your own life. And he suffered for them to deliver you from them and you're going to stand before him and be judged. You know, we can make it easy or we can make it hard. There used to be a Fram oil commercial. The guy was holding up an oil filter and he said, you can, I, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. The easy way was to change your oil filter regularly. The hard way is you blow your engine. There's some Christians who blow their life because they're not changing what God wants to change 
in their heart and life. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would convict us of our sin, show us how to change, guide us in the process through your word and through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.